Hi, everyone, and welcome back to my first season. I came across my guest today when he kept posting one great ClubMed picture after another online in the various XGO Facebook groups. Fun fact about our guest, when he was younger, his best friend's father ran Madison Square Garden in New York City, and he gave them tickets to sell in front of the venue. He saw amazing con concerts from 71 to 76, such as Wings, Led Zeppelin, and Pink Floyd, to name but a few. And if you know me, then you know I have got to talk to him about that. His first season, however, was in 1979 in Club Med Martinique as a snorkeling picnic geo. Oh boy. Considering he was the picnic geo in Martinique <laughs> in 79, I will attempt to not ask many questions about that. All in all, he worked for Club Med from 79 to 88. So please help me welcome from beautiful Arizona, the one, the only, Gary Sirota. Hey, Gary, how are you? Hi, Greg. Good morning. All right. Thanks for being here. Yep. Yep. Actually, I, I was in club till 90. 90? Yeah, it, we'll, yeah, we'll get into yeah. that because you did a bit here and there, right? Yep, yep. Okay. They bounced me everywhere. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you know how we do here on this show. I did mention uh, that interesting part about Madison, Madison Square Garden, so I'd like to hear that. So I am assuming you grew up in New York City? Yep, Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn. Okay. What do they say about Brooklyn? You guys have a motto there? <laughs> Forget about it. Okay. All right. <laughs> no sleep till Brooklyn, right? All no right. sleep. Uh, <laughs> That's that's the what do they call it? Who was that group again? Um, that was Beastie Boys. Beastie Boys, yeah. Okay, so I, I got to know about this now. I'm I'm, sh I'm assuming you weren't scalping, like you were just trying to sell tickets. No, uh, I was I was a scalper. I oh, you were okay. I was trying to let you off the hook there. Okay, <laughs> it was all it was all good. My no, yeah. Well, I'm sure I'm sure you say scalper, but I'm sure like God for I'm I'm pretty sure that the tickets back then if we're talking seventies were ridiculous ridiculously cheap. I'm imagining right like. Like for sure. a Led Zeppelin concert, what was it? $12. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> $12 for, and we had the tickets we sold were first row, second row, third row. And I had, I was given each night whatever I made. And then we went to the, all six nights of Song Remains the Same. There was a six night thing in the garden for them. And I had front row and second row every night. It was pretty amazing. Best wow. thing I've ever done in my life concert wise. Well, yeah, you saw them all in their prime, right? Oh my God, the best, the best. And then Aerosmith opened up for Black Sabbath. I had third row for that. Those tickets were like six bucks. I didn't even have the ticket stubs. Oh, you do? I kept my stubs, yeah. Those are probably worth a small fortune now, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. It's just more for me than anybody else, but it's it's helped me out in a couple of situations over the, over the years with other groups I know. Okay. So now, did you go, were you in school or are you working when you heard, of, heard about Club Med? How, how did it come about? School? That's kind of a joke. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't the best of students, if I tell you. But okay. uh, I got hired to Club Med when I was like 17 and a half. And I went for the interview in Manhattan with uh, well, well, Jean. Wait, back me up here, Gary. How did you find out about Club Med? Who told you? Like, or did you see that? Uh, what happened? Honestly, the, the funniest part of this whole thing is I got sick around 17 with mononucleosis. And I said, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of Brooklyn. I got to get away from my parents. I was really not a good good son, kid kind of thing. I needed to find it out. So I taught myself French while I was barricaded for six months in a room. And then one day there was a commercial. Never been to Club Med because I was too young. And said, that's for me. That is exactly who I am. And I got to go there. Commercial so on I, radio, radio or TV? It was, it was basically radio. And okay. then there was a TV commercial, those old beautiful commercials that showed beaches and these gorgeous places. How did you and, teach yourself French? Because I, I speak French. How did you do it? 
I just took some books. I teach yourself French books and started learning verbs and grammar. I'm pretty smart with things like that and sat for six months just repeating myself and trying to come up with the accent. And it's, it's, it's still it's still a work in progress, I, I would guess. When you applied, but, uh, when you applied, uh, were you applying to New York City? Like, is that yeah, where the was, uh, head office was? Yeah, it was 57th Street. And at the time, the interviewer was uh, this wonderful man, Jean-Luc Ozien Champon. And Serge Trigano was part of the interview, too. Serge Trigano was part of your interview. Yes, yes. Wow. What a nice man. What a wonderful man. No pressure. No, no, no. I didn't know who he was, so it was no pressure. I didn't know who any of these people were. Did you and, know uh, what you were applying for, or you were happy just to do anything to get I, in? I said, I'm ready to go anywhere you want to send me. And the funny part of the interview is I showed up in shorts, flip-flops, and like a Hawaiian shirt. My hair was very long at the time with a feather earring. And everybody was wearing suits applying for the job. And I told this one guy, I said, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> you're not looking like that. So I figured that you had to look like a geo to be a geo. Yes. I walked in, interview lasted maybe 15 minutes. I did have a bartending license because I went to bartending school because school wasn't for me, like real school, like high school kind of thing. So I got a degree in, in bartending at the bartending school before I went down to the interview. That's an interesting part of the story, too. But and then they said, can we send you to Martinique when you turn 18, which is in two months? And I said, I'm ready to go now. But yes. And my father signed papers. and I left two months early before I was even 18. I was 17 and three quarters when they hired me, as long as my father signed off on the papers to let me go. So they sent you uh, 17 and a half to Martinique as a snorkeling picnic geo. This is true, right? <laughs> okay. This is true. This is very true. Yes. <laughs> and you didn't really know about the reputation, I'm assuming, of that uh, club. I figured, figured it out when I got there. I made friends and, they, and they, <laughs> I, I figured it out real quick. Okay. Did you? Did it, did it come up in your interview that you uh, spoke French? Uh, I, I told them I was learning and they said, you'll learn more as you go along. It's once you're embedded, it gets, it, it gets easier. And they asked me some questions in French and I was able to answer. And they said, that's pretty amazing considering you never heard the language before. So it was, a, it was, it was, it was, a, it was probably one of the best and better interviews of my life. Actually. You arrive in 79. Do you remember anything about your arrival? I mean, the actual arrival, arrival? Yeah, Yeah. Like to this day, do you remember? Yeah, everybody... I remember that. And unfortunately, I think they've gotten away from that, but I know they have. When I got there, there was all these geos and parios, and I had my luggage. And basically, they were meeting the arrivals. I was with GMs. And then once they knew who I was, that, that I was there for, they shuttled me off to the side. The chef de Villas was Jackie Amsalag. And I also made a, a good friend with Mimi, who's always on the sites. And we became friends out there. And it was such a good first season that we just continued on. And it was something that I stayed a long time for. But I do remember arriving at the village and it was a festive, like, like carnival every, every moment. It was pretty wild. Did you have any kind of culture shock, Clement culture shock when you arrived with all those Europeans? No, I, I felt like I belonged. Actually, it was a weird, weird situation. Just, you know, if you ever go somewhere and you've never been there, but you felt like you've been there. So okay. That, that, well, yeah, but wait a minute. So I'm so at 17 and a half in New York City, you saw a lot of topless women running around. Is that what you're telling me? I, I, well, okay. no, in Manhattan. I what? saw a lot of things in Manhattan. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's true. That, yeah. When you look at photos of Manhattan, New York. In the, the late 70s was. Yeah. yeah. 
wild. Yeah. The whole city was You're wild. right. No, no, you're right. Yeah, I almost forgot because now Times Square looks like a Disney version of no, no. Times Square in, in the 70s. So, no, you're right. You're right. I've totally forgot about those photos. <laughs> yeah, you had, you had 10th Avenue people walking around in high heels and no clothes. I mean, <laughs> that's right. No, no, you're right. I stand correct. <laughs> so, you were well suited for Martinique already. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. Plus, it was just, I, I was always around wealthy people. So, even when I was 16, I got, I was, well, we'll get to that, but I was hired by some pretty significant people because I wasn't going to school. So, I had, had to find work, you know. To do things. My father said, if you're not going to go to school, find money. He was very, very strong with a Jewish family and brought up on good work ethic. Now, were you uh, were you trained by someone when you get to Martinique? Were there two of you doing snorkeling picnic? Yes. I don't remember who the person okay. was with me. I've been searching for people. I've met people, a couple people along the way mm-hmm. and a couple people that that I remember. But that's a long 79 to now is a very, very long time ago. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I was just curious if they threw you really into the deep end when you got there, or you had someone to show you. No, the ropes. I, I believe there was some sort of like one week training where you kind of went around. So if the other person was sick, you could pick up where they left off, and then the games began, and then that, that got interesting. Are you talking about picnic, we'll, picnic games, picnic, or are you <laughs> picnic games? Picnic okay. games. Yeah, and I do, I do remember in Martinique the picnics were on this beautiful, beautiful beach where we had these private parties. And I remember the trees were growing out of the cliffs upside down. I, I do. I would like to go back to Martinique to see that place because it was really, I don't even know if the hurricanes have taken them away, but we went to this place where the palm trees, the roots were growing to the sky and the palm trees were upside down. It was just spectacular, spectacular are sh- location. Are, nice. are, you sh- are you sure no one was putting anything in the punch, Gary, when you were looking at these no, no, trees? No, I, <laughs> okay. I, I remember that as, as it was yesterday. That's what I do remember. Okay, some, now... And the, Punch did have things in it eventually. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I used to make that punch in Martin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the punch did have things. You used to make it in a barrel. <laughs> yes, the barrel was still there. But that same barrel I used was the same barrel you were using, probably. Probably, yeah. You're right. Now, did they throw you uh, up on stage right away? Were you were you a good dancer back then? No, I, 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 since they had me doing different things, I really never ended up in the shows for a lot because they knew I had a bartending license. So when I wasn't doing picnics, it was kind of like a hodgepodge. Like if you did the snorkeling and picnics, that couldn't just be your only job, especially uh, Jackie Amzalag was a very strong chef de village. And he says, well, you have a bartending license. Let's just put you in the nightclub at night because that's what you really do. And then I had like two jobs. I was like geo bar and snorkeling and picnics in the day because I had so much energy to this day. I still have that energy. And so I thought it was like a double geo. So I worked in days in the picnics. Took a took a nap when I got back, and then they sent me off to the nightclub to at nighttime. And you really didn't do the shows when you did the nightclub because you had to prep for when the show was over because everyone came to the nightclub right after the show. I mean, they went to the main bar, and then people started wandering towards the towards the nightclub. Did you get adjusted to the uh, seven day work week? I probably could do it today. I probably oh, really. Could. Yeah, it's one of those energy ever ready bunny kind of things. How long was your first season at Martinique? Were you there a full season, six months? Full season, six months, yep. Okay. And then and uh, they asked me, do I want to, you know, they always ask you in your first season, how was it? And like Jackie says, uh, do you want to go somewhere else? I said, where's the next place? And then they sent me off. Looks like you didn't go far. You stayed in the West Indies, right? You go to Guadalupe? Right, right. right. They, they gave me a week off. I jumped into Miami, I believe, at that point, because I was, dying to get some uh, supplies 
clothing and things like that. And then they jumped me down to Caravel. And uh, chief of village name was Rocky. Rocky, yeah. Rocky, he, okay. I, I see he's still around, and I keep track because I'm involved these days. So I see he's still around. He has not been well, so I felt bad for that. But I do see he was still around. Now, back then, was Caravel was it family singles? What was it? Oh no, singles. Martinique, Mar- Martinique with a half a steroid. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, okay. It was pretty, pretty, pretty wild. That was a that was more wild. Actually, I think Caravel at that time when I got there was more wilder than Martinique. Maybe because I was younger in Martinique and I wasn't. And I was a little scared of everything. Like you don't want to do anything wrong to get fired. And I heard from people if you do anything, you do one thing wrong, they stick you on a plane and send you home. So you kind of like watch your p's and q's not to get ever fired because. Respect is everything. So you get to Guadalupe in 8081. You're at the bar. Were you at the bar full time or were you now doing snorkeling on the side? No, that that was that. I was full time bar at that point. I did uh, main bar and then the nightclub bar. I now, they always like me in the nightclub because I didn't like to sleep. So they said, this guy doesn't want to sleep. So put him in the nightclub because he'll be there till four in the morning with everybody. Wow. And um, it was it was that was a fun, fun place to go there. The GMs were awesome. The, the adventures were awesome in that village. I can't really say what the adventures were, but they were good adventures. Were they uh, trying to tip you, the GMs, when you when they got to the bar to get your attention? Tip? No. There, no. Was, other, okay. other form, there was other forms of tipping. Okay. <laughs> got it. Okay. Without being specific, but there it was, was. Yeah. This was the early, early 80s listeners. Okay. It was a different time back then. Okay. We're talking absolutely, 1980. Absolutely. Was there a big change from 79 to 80 or you couldn't discern no, no. it? <laughs> it was still pretty wild. The wildest okay. kept, kept going. Okay. The, just... 80s, the 80s as a whole, up till around 86 or 87, was still pretty wild. People were loosey-goosey and nobody, the morales of the world were pretty, you know, pretty wild. I mean, that was, there was, everything was out. Everything was for, up for game. Okay. <laughs> Now, before we go, do you have any, is there any funny, appropriate, like quick story you got from Martinique or Caravel? I mean, obviously that you could share. I, I can keep it clean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, has yeah, to be appropriate. has to be appropriate. Yeah. Okay, well, there was a woman who came down and she kept coming down every couple of weeks with her daughter to be in Club Med. And usually she'd bring the husband. So she shows up, then she starts showing up without the husband and the daughter. And... I guess they got went home because she was dissatisfied and got divorced and she became like an honorary GM for a month so she could I don't know have fun get drinks at the bar get drinks at the bar because I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I I hear you make a mean Long Island iced tea right okay. yeah and adventure okay. adventure with the geos the adventure adventure life with the geos with us so they were uh that was interesting to say the least some but, of them wanted to take you home with them but that's like like we were like a teddy bear or something. I said, that doesn't work like that. (laughs) All right, let's jump to your, uh, because I see you do, you do uh, copper after paradise. So I'm interested in copper because how, I mean, obviously you love, you love Club Med also for the weather too, because New York gets pretty cold as it does in Montreal. So did you want to go to copper? Yes, I did actually. You did? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Basically, A, I wanted to be with, uh, I heard Silvio de Borlino was one of the best legends you could work with. And I wanted to go with him. So basically, I got assigned there. And it was just a break from all the summer stuff. And I always liked to ski as a kid up in upstate New York. So it gave me a chance to go and really do the, the real mountains of Colorado. 
And it was also a way of, of actually being in some sort of symbols of society where there's a store down the street or a supermarket or something, you know, not like in, you know, Never Neverland. So, and it was, and that was bar there too, the uh, main bar and then night, nightclub bar and had time to ski during the day, which was awesome. And there was, I used to run, instead of the picnics, we turned, we turned the hot tub into the hot tub parties at night with the punch. Wait, so you, that put, was you put, wait, you put punch in the hot tub? No, we had punch. We had uh, kegs of, of punch out by the hot tubs. How big was this hot tub? Oh, pretty big. It sat sixteen people in copper. Really? In yeah. Oh, okay. And we have everybody was in their little bathing suits, myself included. And uh, occasionally, Sylvia would walk out there. We actually got him out with me and three girls in our bikinis, and he's in a ski jacket. And I have a picture of us in the snow, hanging around in the snow like that because you go to the hot tub, you burning up, you go out in the cold and you cool down and vice versa. This was Silvio Di Bortoli, the chief of village? Yes, Silvio Di Bortoli, yeah. He's a wonderful man from Switzerland and been friends with him for many, many years in, to this day. Okay. Now, did you ski your butt off at Copper that season? Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, that was really a fun season. We were a fun group of people. There was a future chef de village who worked with us, which was Guy Tomas. Pierre Habil was our animator, and we're all still friends to this day. And it was just a fun, fun. We had a lot of um, Mexican people, wealthy Mexican people coming up in spring skiing. And so that was kind of interesting that they came up and they didn't really know how to ski, but they knew how to drink. So it was, and especially the altitude in copper, people would drink the first day and you'd see them collapsing in the lobby, which was like, we were telling people you're not supposed to drink for day one or two, just water and tea or coffee. And they were just banging away at the alcohol. All right. So if you're in Copper, am I right? Is this 1984 that you arrived there? Do you um, remember? Or around yeah, that time? Right after Paradise, they sent me into Copper. All right. Now, because I want to I want to place this in time. Were there snowboards yet on the slopes yet? No, no. Actually, in Copper, if any one of our geo friends know, Copper at that point did not have the back bowls open. You could only do the front bowls. So a lot of people would go to the back bowls. And I ventured once in a while with somebody as like, as you ski every day, you get better and better and better. And that was kind of fun. They did a lot of the guys did helicopter skiing up on the on the avalanche ellipse. I wouldn't venture to that, but it was just a wonderful village, beautiful, beautiful scenery. Too bad it's closed. How much did it cost to rent the helicopter there to go? I, heli -ski? I would. I know that the ski team used to go up there, so okay. I don't know. All right, so let's let's jump to Cancun because I see you follow Silvio to Cancun. Yep. And uh, again, this is probably mid 80s that you're in Cancun, I'm guessing, like uh, yep. 84, 85. This is about 80, 85, 80, no, eh, probably yeah. Like, yeah, somewhere in there. I yeah. have the time get messed up for me. Yeah, no, no, it, uh, that's that's normal. That's normal. Now, did you like Cancun? Oh, I love Cancun. I can't wait to go back. I'm going back this December for a uh, mini geo reunion. So that's going to be kind of fun like, to go home. And there's actually one of the bar guys, his name is Daniel. And yes. Daniel has been there for 40 plus years. That's right. It's he's, still, be fun he's, he's, still, he's still working there? Oh, absolutely. He's still oh, wow. he's, he's a legend in his own mind over there, I'm sure. No, no, he's definitely a legend. He, that's the one you should interview. He has stories. Yeah. As soon as he stops club, I will. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Even though this so is appropriate. This is appropriate, this everyone. Is <laughs> at this point, I hook up with, uh, at this point, I hook up with, I'm on the bar still, and I meet this amazing, amazing chef de bar that had been, I would say at that point, he's probably in club 25 years. So he's another legend in there called Omar Buzba. And if you could imagine a Moroccan person 
who acts like Robin Williams. It was so much fun to be with. It was hysterical. And his wife was Katie, who I'm still friends with. And she was from New Caledonia. So to me, this at this point is very international. We're meeting people from Morocco, Switzerland, not the normal Brooklyn thing in my past life. So I would say just as a point of fact for everybody, if they say it didn't, they're fooling themselves. Club Med changed all of us in, in any form or given thing. So this Omar Bouzba really put me in tune that I want to become a chef de bar because I love doing the cocktail parties. I, the setups were kind of annoying, but it was so creative. And that's why I enjoyed it. You can do these cocktail parties, funny drinks, make people, you know, it, it was just, just, and it was a wild time in Cancun too. Really wild. And did you become a chef de bar? Eventually. Yeah, I did oh, okay. actually. Do they do a stage for that? Or it's like, I, I did a stage in Normandy for six months in some castle they sent me to. Oh, nice. And some of the guys to a chef de bar goes, how did you do that one? And I became friends with a, a responsible out of Miami. His name was Patrick Wotelet. And we became friends in copper. And he says, you're really good with the bottles and flipping them. And people love you at the bar. He says, you need to become chef de bar eventually. So Patrick took me under his wing. And there's a story with him, too. That's pretty neat. Uh, we, we can get to that if you like to. Yeah. So the yeah. Saj was in Normandy. And then eventually Club Med at one point in 79 and 80, like Martinique, Guadeloupe area, there was no codes for the bar. You just poured what you want. And well, that's not a way of running a business because at the end of the day, Club Med is still a business. So he, we put together the code, which allowed for the bartenders to have a certain dose amount for each liquor so that the, the company become profitable on the liquor because that's really between that and the boutique was the only place they were going to make money. Now you say code. So this is when you uh, believe actually, when you're, you're actually, pouring. Yeah, there's actually a book. I have a book in the house here, a couple of books, but there's actually a book of all the drinks and how much is supposed to go in each drink so that they, they have, so the Econom could price out everything when they're doing their inventory once a month. Okay. And eventually, eventually I became an Ed Econom, but that was not my favorite thing to do. So I always did Ed, Ed Econom in the day and Geo Bar at night because I needed that interaction with people. And Econom people generally, or just generic people, generally don't uh, deal with the people. They're behind the scenes. And I'm more of a front front of the people kind of scene. So you had to probably deal with a lot of suppliers is at, at Econom. Yeah. Right? It, it, I, they, were trying to, they were trying to get me to the point of being an Econom or a gestionaire or something with money and you know things like that. I just didn't enjoy that very much. So I went back to the bar. Okay. All right. That's good. Eh? I mean, uh, being chief at bar, I guess uh, it's a pretty good job. Yeah, you know? I, I got to that by the time the end, end of my career. Yeah, Along the way, I was just Ed Chef to bars and stuff like that and, and ran the nightclubs and things like that. But the Chef to bar came towards the end of my career. All right. And after Cancun, you go to Magic Isle, Haiti. Oh, my God. What a place. What a place. Another one that should still be open, but unfortunately, it isn't. Yeah, I hear I hear that it was a be uh, very beautiful uh, resort. Oh, the beach, the beach was magnificent. The island, we used to do the picnics. I used to tag along for the picnics because I knew I did the picnics in Martinique. So when I was free in the day, I used to tag along, go over to Gonav, which was the island off of Haiti. And that's where the picnics were given. And I, I part I partake with helping do the punch and serving people. And, you know, I, I did I did whatever to make people happy there. Of course. And the chef de villages liked that I was a, a multi-purpose type person. Now, yeah, your chef de l'as was Jean-Pierre Bernardi. So when you met him, did he say, uh, look, Gary, uh, 
don't do the picnics uh, like you did in Martinique here, or, or no, is it no, different no. <laughs> different rules? Okay. No, no we, 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 this was around 80, in the mid-80s, and everything was still game. Okay, wow. All right. Was it a uh, family village or a couple's Magic Isle, Haiti? Do you remember? I believe we were still singles. Wow. Okay. Considering, considering who our guests were. Everything was everything was still singles back then, right? Okay. Yeah, and we had lots of lovely villages that unfortunately had closed, like Eleuthera and Bahamas, and then you had uh, Bermuda. There was uh, Saint Lucia. There's so many villages that they closed, which is just sad. Very sad. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful it's villages. That's now everything's family, and there's only one one singles resort left, which is Turks, right? So it's the opposite. Yeah, now. Th- 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 that puts us in a predicament with other things I'm doing now. But uh, okay. yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I see you go to Sandpiper now. Did you did you want to go to Sandpiper? If we, if we back up for a second, yeah, to sure. Haiti, a yeah. good Haiti story. Oh yeah, and yeah, please. All, I have tons of Haiti buddies, and they, they all know this happened there. So it was like you have to actually. And actually, I got a picture to prove it. Thank God. At some point, the rock stars started showing up in Haiti, often, very often. Especially David Lee Roth. He had an affinity for Haiti for some reason. And David Lee Roth of Van Halen fame was was there as a continual visitor over the time. Pat Benatar showed up. And then the penthouse models with Bob Guccione and Joe Brooks start showing up in the village, too. So that that creates a different vibe for sure. <laughs> Definitely for sure. So they, that you're was saying you had you had Diamond Dave and, and penthouse. Playmates? Yeah, I put, put, put the two of them together in the same <laughs> week. It was pretty wild. Pretty yeah. I, I tell. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like some someone's going home in a body bag. Okay. <laughs> okay. Actually, the guy Joe Brooks from Penthouse Magazine, me and him became friends, and he kept following me around to villages with some of the girls. When I got to New York, we actually I went to lunch with a couple of the Penthouse people, and I wasn't married at the time, so it was kind of fun to be in that circle of people and meet Bob Guccione, and his, his entourage was different than the entourages that people think of these days. So how does someone like uh, Diamond Dave, David Lee Roth, like, uh, like, what does he do? Does he do the activities? Does he go to water aerobics or does he keep fun- himself? No, the funniest thing is we made him an honorary geo when, when he came sometimes. We stuck him in a pario and he'd do the arrivals with people and people say, you look like David Lee Roth. And he goes, no, I, they hired me because I look like that guy. But no, no, it's not. It's not me. Oh, and wow. he would just hide behind that scenario. And then people started figuring it out who he was really him. You know, especially when he stopped doing music at nighttime or singing and stuff like that. Oh, but he, he, would, was, he would he would sing. Yeah, yeah. He, he, one night he got drunk in the in the nightclub, so it was it was it was interesting to have him around. He okay. actually I actually had a chance to spend some time with him because I was one of the few Americans in there, and he didn't speak French, and he liked to go bike riding. You know, because that's how he worked out. He's a, a black third black belt in karate. Yeah. So we I used to take bike rides with him. It was very interesting just to go to around the villages. Around the not too far away, but just down the road, just and and I felt safe to be with him because if anyone attacked us, we have him. That's, that's is, right. That's right. Yeah, black belt, he's, he's, a, he's a walking killing machine. Yeah, <laughs> you've never seen the video jump. I, I urge you to check, no, it out. Really, check out his moves. <laughs> he actually is really a powerful karate guy. He really is. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. No. He's legit. Uh, yeah. I've always he's, known the, that about he's him. The real legit. He's totally legit. All right, let's get into Sandpiper. Now, did sure. you want to go there? Because I see they sent you there twice. Did you like it after a while? Yeah, because you got actually, to buy whatever you wanted. <laughs> yeah, back, back to the back to the actually supermarkets and back to, you know, just being closer to home, picking up a phone and calling mom and dad, that type of thing. You know, having friends, easier for friends to come visit because they could just jump down on a plane and come down for a couple of days. 
So that was kind of nice. And by that point, by the first time in Sandpiper, I was an Ed Chef de Bar. And the second time I got in there, I was Chef de Bar. So it was easy to go back. It's easy if you're a Chef de Bar to go back to a place you know, because there's a kind of a groove that goes with the place. And it was just kind of nice. Yeah, and, and you worked uh, you worked with two chiefs whose names often come up on this show, Ben Bluznina and Jose Aliel, correct? Correct. Yeah. Uh, yep. Ben was there twice, so Ben 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 is awesome. Ben, I mean, he was just. I was trying to get to the Paris meeting for the seventy fifth anniversary, but I have issues at home that didn't allow me to do that. But I did send my regards to him, and you think he would forget? And he goes, "Oh, Gary, definitely send send my regards to him. I'm glad he's doing well, you know. And him and Lily are still." around in the south of France. And not really, I spent some time with him. He actually, one of my uh, Cancun seasons was with him too. So he was part of, he always, if you did good with the chef de villages, they requested you. Was he, uh, you talk about that, yeah, that 75th reunion. I've seen the photo. So was he one of the ex-chiefs on stage there in those yes, photos? Yes, then with Jose was on stage. And, oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, also Gino, Gino Andretta, I think too. I think I saw yeah. him. Yeah, and Merdu was on stage as well. Okay, so you were you were trying to get out to that to go to that. I, I was buzz, but I have some I have things going on as you and I had spoken off off yeah. off my family. So that's right. Anything uh, wild happen in Sandpiper? Now I'm assuming Sandpiper was a family village, Gary. Don't tell yeah, me it was not, singles. Not, okay. Well, now we're now we're the family village. Okay. But but when the kids go to bed at night, the families turn into the singles again. I guess they I do? don't know. Oh boy. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was interesting to say the least. But by this point. You know, you get to a certain level and you are now in management and you have to be more careful about who you go with, what you do with them, what you say to them. You be you have to be more careful. That's that's all I could say. Okay. Okay, good. But but you gotta remember in any environment, during the day you go to work, people are not nice and normal and they do their sports and then they get a couple of drinks in them at night when the kids are at bed and and, and then they get wild again. Yeah. Because uh, we're still in the eighties, remember? Yeah, we're still in the eighties. That's right. You're probably late eighties, but still eighties nonetheless, right? Yep. And music was still rocking, and people were partying, and you know, it was still there. And that's where I believe you left Sandpiper to do your stage in Normandy, correct? Correct. I was I was an Ed Chef the bar at that point, and went off to Normandy at that point. All right. And did you learn anything on that stage that you didn't already know? The club med way of really when you're just a bartender, you pour your drinks, you take the beads because at that point we were still doing Colia bar and you just take your beads and, you know, and get people drunk and fun things and do shots. And, you know, I, I really enjoyed in most of the villages doing the cocktail tables, which they got away from that, too, in the villages and for lots of things they've gotten away from lately. We used to have a cocktail table in front of the restaurant where people could buy drinks like pina coladas or Mai Tais or ice, Long Island iced tea, like you said, and in Pario and flour and the whole geo experience. And that was always fun. So when you're a geo bar, you're fun. Once you become chef de bar, you're looked upon respectfully. So you got to kind of like say, will this work? Will that work? Is this going to make money? Is that not going to make money? Is this going to sell people? Now we're getting to the late 80s. You got to be careful. Are you insulting people? Are you doing something that's going to make them uncomfortable? So, you know, it's it, it, at that point, you have to be very careful about your position, especially if you want to work your way up the ranks even further, which I, I thought I would till, you know, but that, that's everyone's dream is to go further up the ranks if you're in Columbia that long. Can I ask you a dumb bar question? 
Sure. Because uh, I used to always get stressed over the champagne pyramid. In all your years at the bar, did anyone ever knock over the champagne pyramid by accident? Yes. Really? Oh, boy. Yes. Was it the Chiva Village? No, no, no. Oh, oh. Uh, <laughs> one, it? Once it was the chef at the bar. We were in the last glass. Yes. And somebody was he was yelling at someone backed up and the whole pyramid came down. And, and so it sounded like the, the 30 second crash. OK, OK. That was so, in, that was in Cancun when uh, with Silvio. So it is as awful as I imagined. <laughs> yeah. And then you have to glass up and, you know, it's, okay. it's too bad they've gotten away from what I've seen. I haven't gone back to this December being my first time back. Well, not really, but I ventured in once into Paradise Island when I was at staying at Atlantis with mm-hmm. my company now. And I, th- I wanted to see if I was missing something. You know, you get you get that thought after 30 years or 25 years. And went in and the chef de village knew who I was. The staff knew who I was in the Bahamas. And I spent the evening in there. And I, it, was, it was a very, it, it was melancholy. It was very nice. Who was so, the chief? Who was the chief there? I, I, I would be lying to you if I told you. Okay. It was there a while ago in my brain, but it went away. Well, are we talking, was it around 2002, 2003 or it, before? The- I was in Atlantis with my company, who is Prudential now. 2000, it was, it was after the towers fell. So we went in for our major meeting uh, conference, 2004, 2005. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Now, would, can we talk about one of my favorite places that you worked at, that I worked sure. at too? Okay. So you worked in Eilat, Israel, which uh, happened to be my my last club at. And I uh, I thought that was truly the most uh, unique uh, club at out, out of them all. Would very you say special. so? Very special. Very, very special. Yeah. Special guests. Special. I, I believe if you got chosen to go there, you were a special geo. I, I really do. Yeah. Not everybody, Not everybody ended up in... Uh, Elat. I mean, That's they right. asked for it, but they didn't go. They, they got chosen to go many places, but not that one. I I just adored being there. I was with Andrea Livingston, yes. who That's right. I'm, I'm going to see in December for have dinner with her. And it's been almost 35 or 40 years since we've seen each other. And we talk on Facebook, me and her, and we're looking forward to seeing each other again. Is she, is she going to the reunion in Cancun? No, she lives there. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. She lives she in Mexico. She moved off Cancun to like a nice, a nice area there. So she's going to pop in one night. Oh, that's nice. Yep. Yep. Wow. So I, I enjoyed what I enjoyed about it a lot. And it was kind of my last season, but they had, when I was there in the beginning, they needed somebody to do bar for two weeks because somebody was sick. So they asked if I'd go up to Arzeev. So I went up to Arzeev for two weeks and that was kind of the, the most interesting, weird experience because You'd be partying in Club Med and hearing the missiles blowing up on on in the heights above you. Yes, uh, they, were, they, they were at war at that point. There was the only uh, Club Med with a bomb shelter, I believe. Yes, yes. So I, I, that that was troubling to say the least. <laughs> but but along the way, you got to see Israel. You got to see you know Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. There was a nice excursion. So yes. if you if you had some time, you could pop out, you know, to do stuff. But I have some pretty great experiences out of Elat because I was chef to bar there. And the, the staff there was Mauritian. And to this day, I'm friends with three or four of the Mauritian guys on the bar. And one of the, one of the bakers that was still we still talk to this day. And, you know, Facebook's allowed us all to reconnect again, which is for, for only the positive thing that it possibly does is, is put us all back together again. And um, good Elat story, if you want. Yes, please. So... American Express comes in and Andrea says they want to do a cocktail party. And I, and I swear I've lost my pictures because along the way things get stolen. I lost some luggage in Germany at one point 
and a lot of my pictures and geo t-shirts disappeared and they wanted a cocktail party for 700 people in the valley of the moon do you remember that place you took yeah, it i south? do yeah so they wanted the cocktail party on the cliffs over there at sunsets with music and food and liquor in the israeli desert and andrea says can you pull that off i said i could absolutely pull that off i said you just got to give me the time to pull it off because you were moving material from village five miles up into the mountains there and we have to protect it at night because you don't know if the bedouins are going to come and steal everything so we'd set it all up and they could steal it so we actually had to camp out in the desert for a couple of nights till the party and then the food people had to bring trucks with the food up there and chafing dishes and tables big 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 deal major big deal i guess they must have been charged in sweet sweet penny for that one and we pulled it off at sunset the cocktails were going there was live music up they had a local israeli band coming in and it was a good party i asked andrea if she has the pictures and i think she does actually and then back then do you remember because you were geo also right craig yes remember the fire fire shows in the pool oh yes like the fire shows i got involved in that because that was interesting enough for me to get to, to get involved in that kind of thing with the fire and the pool i dug that stuff so i was part of that stuff too and and those pictures there was somebody and there was a very nice theme in the lot, which was Middle Eastern, very, the food was different. The whole vibe was different. The bar was even different. The bar was very, either they were really nice people or aggressive people. It was not like the American zone where people came to the bar and they were very nice and they, you know, they wanted to have fun. And these people tended to be a little bit aggressive, yes. especially with their friends and their wives and their girlfriends. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, 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 I had, I explained, that. I didn't know what was going on. The same thing happened to me. And, you know, cause you know, and, and um, like in the States, everyone has a boiling point, right? Like it might take you a minute or two to get mad. Right. And in Israel, I thought uh, they got mad very, very fast. Like <laughs> in five yeah, seconds. They, you know? they, they would just, you'd be on the street going to pick up supplies and a lot and you'd see a guy jump out and start screaming at a cop. Yeah, I mean, yeah exactly. <laughs> that, I, and the cop yells back and they don't arrest anybody. They just That's yell right. at you. That's right. It's like a form of yeah, talking, right? It's like, don't take it seriously. Uh, yeah, that, I, I, I did some silly things at the bar and one of the, the Mauritian GE said to me, he said, I can't really say what I did, but I got so annoyed with the, I call them the, they were kind of like the Italian people in Brooklyn, like the mafia types that was like boisterous and very loud. And in Hebrew, a uh, cappuccino is called cafe afouk. I, I put a spin on that one. Okay. <laughs> and a very quick Brooklyn accent, so they would never get what I was saying. <laughs> and okay. they, I, he said, someone's going to pick up that one day. Gary, someone's going to get you and kill you. Do you, I you said, did you speak Hebrew then? or do you speak No, I, I, I didn't. Being Jewish, I did not speak Hebrew. But eventually, I ended up staying there at some did point. You, did you get teased about that? No, the, oh, in Israel, okay. if you're Jewish, they love you. They, you're, Jewish is Jewish in Israel. That's right. That's right. They don't. They don't discriminate if you're a, a good one, a bad one, a blue one, a red one. They don't. There's no discrimination on that. That's right. And after Israel, I see you go to uh, Saint Moritz, right? Yeah, to, I, uh... I did some fill-ins. Okay. And. At that point, I, I was I got I was tired. It was well. Long it's, it's not a bad fill in, right, Gary? I mean, if you're back home in New York, they go, "Would you like to fill in in St. Moritz?" It's that's not so yeah, bad, right? I mean, it was a fill in, and then Vitell was a fill in, and Tahiti was a fill in. And after that, I went back to Israel because I had an Israeli girlfriend at the time, and she says, "Why don't you come hang out here and see what happens?" 
So this instead of in, going uh, home, Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv, yeah. Okay. So oh, nice. Says, yeah, she said there's this thing called Aliyah. Yes. So this is a funny story. So I, I'm with her. She was a geo also, and her father was a Mossad agent, but not like a, just a regular Mossad agent, but like a, a a really big Mossad agent, and the scariest person I probably ever met in my life. Oh well, yeah, I'm guessing he probably gave you the third degree, right? <laughs> oh, he was very very crystal clear about anything happening to his daughter and what would happen to me. Very yes. Crystal, crystal clear. Yeah, you, you don't mess around in Israel. That's and what you learn yeah, fast. And if you stay there long enough, you start seeing, this was the time of the Infatada. You start seeing buses blow up. You start seeing really weird stuff happen around you. So I decided to leave Israel at that point because it wasn't really a, a great idea to hang around for the buses to blow up while you're on it. Yeah, so then you went to, I guess, the calming, like Vitel, you know, in comparison yeah, to... I left, I left there. They sent me off to Tahiti for a little while. Yeah. And that was that. What are, in no particular order, the three things you miss the most? I know it's probably more than three, but if you can give me just three, that would be great. Okay. The first is international friends. I've gotten most, a lot of them back, but that daily interaction with people from different countries, like Luxembourg and Belgium and, you know, Spain and France. Well, we were one big happy family, all of us. We call each other family, brothers and sisters, because we actually... Just to put a point in here, and I know we're on a timeline. I believe, and I've been doing this kind of like weird thing over time with people in Club Med. We sort of have a special DNA. Because why would they hire us? They don't just hire anybody. It's not like going to Marriott. When we were geos, you had to have that special DNA to work seven days a week, 12 hours a day. You, uh, we had to get along with people. You had to like people. You had to like GA. You had to love GMs to make them satisfied. And and they would come back over and over and over again, repeat customers. So I miss that interaction, daily interaction, having a coffee in the morning and speaking Italian or French or English or whatever was going on. It was that first part. Second thing I miss is the traveling. It was so interesting every six months to be plopped in a new country, new experiences, new friends. You had to be that versatile type of person. So I do, do miss that because when you get into a normal life, that doesn't happen. You go on vacation. And the funniest part is when I work for my company, which is Prudential, in the back of my mind, I'm still a geo in a parry with a flower behind my hair, wearing a suit, doing business with people. It's really funny <laughs> like that. So I miss I wish I miss wearing parios every day as, as a form of uniform. That was so comfortable to get up and put a pario on that you and you're good till the evening. That's right. <laughs> so easy wardrobe. I still I still have actually twenty parios in the closet here. Okay, uh, to, to be worn in Cancun again. They're, they're they're in for something different this time. Okay. Uh, and the third third thing I miss is actually that brothership. And I don't know. I think most of us would get that. There's a brothership and sistership between. We'd, we'd always watch each other's backs. We'd always like. And in society, you have friends, but not friends you live with, sleep with, eat with, drink with every day. You just, it's just a different world. You have that with your wife or your husband, but, and your children, if you have children, but not the way we did it, not the way we were. It's, it's that, that family, there, there was, I always explain it to my friends who never been to Club Med or don't know what it is. There's, there was two worlds going on. There was the world of the guests that came in on a, on a Sunday and left, left on a Sunday. And they had their time and they had their experience. 
and then they left us behind and we were that family left behind almost like a like a like a co-op co commune of people that loved each other for the most part i'd say 99 of all of us really cared about each other and then the, the show would go on again and then the show would turn down again and, and and this went on for years and years and years and then you'd run into people that you were in one village with and you saw them again and the relationship got even better yeah i wow could not have said the, that better myself the, those the, are the, great three <laughs> Club Med was a double world. It was the world of us, geos, and what we did and how we had kept our sanity. And then the world of the GMs that that just had a viewpoint of us. And some of them wanted to become geos. And they, a lot of them went home and became geos. They stopped being lawyers and doctors and became geos. Some people wanted to be geos and never became geos, but they're honorary geos because they spent so much time in Club Med. Okay, Gary, we're we're coming to the end, but I before I let you go, I, I'd like to know if there, there's something else you wanted to say for one last time, or did I forget to ask you something? Something you wanted to say? Uh... Well, the most weirdest thing that ever happened to me, and, I, and I'm still friends with lots of people, that I was unfortunately part of the Cancun destruction of Hurricane Gilbert in '88, uh, right. and most of the geos left. I had nowhere to go because I was when you become so embedded in Club Med. Where are you going to go? Go home to mommy and daddy for uh, six months? No way. And at this point, I was probably in my late 20s, totally Club Med Geo embedded. And I stayed around as to help the GMs that got stuck in Cancun. I stuck around for the cleanup crew, which I have pictures of the whole destruction down there uh, uh, that, I, that I've shared on the websites if people want to take a look. Wait, wait a minute, Gary. You you willingly stayed behind to help clean up I after a hurricane? Stay, I willingly stayed behind because it would, I figured it would be a kind of a cool experience to ride out a, a monster hurricane. Oh, boy. Well, you should get some kind of medal for that because yeah, I, uh, yeah. I didn't have a choice when I had to do yeah. it, but you had a choice. <laughs> yeah, there was a nurse in the village, and everybody knows her by Tinkerbell, uh, Belle Brown, and she stayed behind too. And we all stayed behind that wanted to stay behind to help people. And we ended up that evening when the storm came in, we evacuated to the Americana Hotel. And the only thing I remember from that, two things. We were hearing boats literally flying in the air and, and slamming into the hotel. And then when the wind kicked, when the actual storm hit, you saw the carpeting literally get ripped up in the basement where we were. And just kind of like, like a ghost was under the carpeting. That's the only thing I remember that stuff. And then we went back to the village. The village was flattened, just flattened. There was really nothing left except barbed wire. Many of us have been posting pictures of La Palapa, which was the nightclub there. And that was the most fun nightclub in the world. I mean, on a, on a good Friday night or Saturday night, you could just see just about anything you, you wanted to see in that place. And uh, again, this was 84 and 88. And then they rebuilt it. So I'm looking forward to going back and seeing what, what's good. What's I've heard it's gorgeous. Heard it's spectacularly gorgeous. And not what we had, but I'll have the viewpoint of old and and old and new. Gary, this has been amazing. I really do want to thank you for sharing your story with us here today. So yeah, Gary, once again, thanks again eh, for sharing your story. Uh, we'll definitely stay in touch. And thank you, really. That was so kind of you to, to do this today. Yep. I really enjoyed doing this. This uh, this, this rekindles lots of memories of great, great memories. Too bad some of the stories can't be told, but those are for in-person type of stories. Yeah, you, you can tell me one when we when I stop the recording. Okay, sorry, people. Okay. Sure, I definitely will. <laughs> well, everyone, that was Gary Sorota okay, from, from Arizona, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Say bye, Gary. Bye.